We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? Man, we're talking about practice. What are we talking about? Practice? Yeah, Alan Iverson. This is Shutterbug Life, episode 37. And we're talking about practice. Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hi, and welcome to episode number 37 of the Shutterbug Life Podcast. My name is Linford Morton. You can call me Lynn, of course. And this is the Photography Lifestyle Podcast. This is for us uh, enthusiasts. I think those of us who eat, sleep, and breathe the stuff. And it's, you know, all the things we need to do to, to make the most of our photography and become a reach out true potential. Hey, thank you again for joining us for another episode and for joining this community of photographers. I like to think of us as just a group of diehards who we're just trying to learn or trying to share. We're just trying to get better. And I have a great episode in store for you, as as hinted in the intro from the old Alan Iverson the NBA great, the rant he had about practice. This is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about practice and how it's more specifically how we do the kind of deliberate practice that helps us become better with our photography. But before that, I want to talk just a little bit about some of the things that happened in the last week and a couple announcements. The first one I thought was interesting. Apple announced the new iPhone 6S. And I'm always interested in this, not so much because of the phone, but because they do interesting things with their cameras. And and I, this one was in the camera. There were a couple interesting announcements, I thought. So I just wanted to just chat about them for a moment. One that I really liked is they use the screen as a flash now for the selfies. You know, Apple's going all in on the selfie because this is how so many people take pictures now. And this is how life is now recorded. So in the selfie, the flash now is used from the whole screen itself. And I thought that was interesting. So when you're taking a picture, when you take a picture, the uh, the screen, uh, first of all, it gives a pre-flash that it uses to judge the, the ambient light and the white balance, they say. Uh, well, they don't say white balance, but that's exactly what it is. They say they ch- it checks the, the ambient light just to make sure that it gives enough light to balance your subject and the background and everything going around. So that means your flash won't wash out your subjects um, like like it might have in the past when you when because the, the cameras are so close and it comes full force. 
boom, you're all blown out, and then the background is very dark. Apple is saying they fixed that problem. Should be interesting to see. The other thing they said they did was it checks the ambient light and it checks the white balance to make sure that the flash now is going to be the color temperature of this your surroundings. So this is this becomes a problem sometimes because if you're in a low light situation where all the light around you is that sort of yellowish light that you get, um, the tungstenish color from the lights. Um, if you have that sort of GE light bulb light, which is very yellow, and the flash, if it's a different color temperature, will make everything look a, a nasty bluish. So Apple is saying they are going to check the color temperature and flash in the temperature of your surroundings so that should give you a more natural look from your flash it sounds interesting right i really want to see what that looks like in real life when you actually use it the other thing that's cool about having the whole screen become your flash rather than just a, you know just a a, a, a small you know, the the small light that usually is your flashlight or whatever. That's cool. That should be cool because as you as as many of you know, the larger the light source, the softer the light you can create. And so now with a larger light source closer to your subject, I in theory you should get a softer light on on your on your subject which is of course in a selfie you and that should make again for a more pleasant image so i'm so really interested to see how what this looks like in real life but i'd like how it sounds anyway in the way they describe it the other thing they talk about i like that they do is they're, they're pushing the sensor more than the megapixels and of course we'll talk about this again later in a second but you know rather than just going on about the fact that they have 12 mix of megapixels they really talk about how they intelligently designed the sensor to be um to capture better images i, I like that too and, and then the other thing, well, they have 4K video, which is great for people who are really into video. You just have, you know, more resolution. And, and I guess that helps you if you want to freeze frame and pull an image out of your video somewhere. I mean, I heard Frederick Van Johnson from the host of the This Week in Photo podcast talk about the fact that he um, did a photo shoot where he didn't shoot any pictures. He just shot 4K video and t and set it up and just talked with his subjects, which were his family. And then he went through the 4K video and just pulled out the freeze frames that he liked. And because there was so much information there, he was able to use that as an actual photograph. Interesting approach. Um, the other thing is they have this called live photo. And I'm again, this is one I'll be interested in seeing because I don't, I'm intrigued and puzzled by it, but not ex but but more ambivalent. You know, ambivalent is when you're a mixture of excited and not excited, and you're not sure which one to go with. That's sort of where I am with this one. But live photo, they say, is not a video, but it's it's sort of like a hybrid. I would say, meaning when you when you take a photograph, if you hit this button called called live photo the photo comes to life and you have about two or three minutes uh two or three seconds rather of sound and and video of the photograph actually moving it's almost like a vine if you know how that works on twitter where you have a few seconds of video so your picture comes to life by hitting this button i guess they capture a number of images on either side of the photograph 
And so when you hit the button, you'll see you know, the dog bark. You know, if you had a freeze frame of your pup, then you'll see your, you know, the pup doing whatever it was doing when you took the photograph. Hmm, interesting. I'm curious. Does that sound interesting to you, anyone? This live photo thing. If you remember back in episode two, we talked about um, the the same thing happening um, as sort of the future of photography. I, I told you about uh, you know the live image that that was uh, coming out from who was that the. I'm sorry, in episode two, Lytro's living picture. That's right. It was Lytro. And Lytro had this thing where they thought that you could, you know, merge a number of images and then sort of, you know, seamlessly move from one to the other. So it's the same. It's not the same technology, but the similar kind of thing where you can move images and have the photograph not be a static moment in time, but actually a, a, a... of a moving around from two or three seconds. So is this where photography is going from this capturing the still image to maybe capturing the moment in time, the full moment rather than just the still image. Interesting. And, and so I'd love to hear from you guys, you know, leave it in, you know, let me know in the comments or um, what do you think about that? What, what do you think about the whole live photo idea and, and how would you use it in your photography i'm really interested in hearing more about that because i'm curious um the other thing is canon is now releasing a 120 megapixel dslr that's right i'm going to say that again 120 megapixel dslr canon is releasing and i'm just thinking stop the madness you know when we hit 24 megapixels we thought okay the 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 megapixel race has to be over now right and then we got the 36 megapixel we thought whoa that's just a lot of 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 megapixels and and now then canon came out recently with 50 and i thought wow that's just just overkill but apparently there was a market for it, so much so that they went back and, and did more than double double down. They doubled down and then some. They went from 50 to 120. Now, interestingly enough, if, if Petapixel, the blog, said that this camera produces raw files that are 120 megabytes large, 120 megabytes for a single image in, uh, in when you have a raw file from a 120 megapixel DSLR. And and just so you have a sense of, of scale here, if you have a 32 gigabyte memory card, it will only store about 150 photos in raw. 150 photos is all you get on a 32 gigabyte card Remember when we thought that was gargantuan? <laughs> Not anymore. If you have a terabyte hard drive, which used to be, you know, the first time we saw a terabyte, we thought, how can I ever fill that? Well, here's how you fill it. 4,700 photos of your 120 megapixel Canon. Now, now, for me, this is just ridiculous. But I, I don't know. That's just me. Is anyone salivating over this? If if anyone, if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, I can't wait to get my hands on a 120 megabyte photograph um, or 120 megabyte image, p- 
please, in the comments, let me know what exactly about that appeals to you, how you would use it, and why that would be important. I'm, I'm just curious because I can't think of a reason to have a file that big. Anyway, those are some of the announcements in this past uh, week of, of photography and this kind of stuff I thought was interesting. Again, I want to hear what you think about some of these things because it's sort of funny to me. And um, I'd like to, maybe I'm just all, all off base here. So let me know, all right? All right, this week we're talking about practice. And when I thought about practice, I went back to the... Oh, the classic Allen Iverson rant. Allen Iverson is an NBA player, all-star NBA player, uh, popular for the nineteen for the for the Philadelphia seventy sixers, and the rant is is sort of part of. If you Google Allen Iverson, the top three or four things you'll see will be the rant because a reporter asked him, "Could you be clear about your practicing habits since we can't see you practice?" And that was just too much for Allen Iverson. He unloaded about a five-minute rant where he was so upset, he repeated the word practice almost 24 times in this rant. He just kept going, we're talking about practice? Practice? I can't believe we're talking about practice. How silly is that? We're talking about practice. And, and, and while we all sort of chuckle at Allen's indignation, I have to pose the question back to us, our our attitudes as photographers any better about practice? I'll pose the same question to you. Could you be clear about your practicing habits since we can't see you practice? Do you practice? I mean, do you schedule time to work on specific techniques or skills? Do you, do you create projects or ideas that help you stretch creatively? Do you shoot regularly? You help keep building your skills. Do you spend more time shooting so you can learn your camera? I mean, do you practice? Now, this first, I started thinking about this after episode 34 when we talked with Mike Randolph of Randolph Images, the professional travel photographer. And what he said was one of the biggest mistakes travel photographers make is they don't practice. I think what you need to do is, uh, is practice. Because, uh, you know, in the weeks leading up to your trip, uh, you should be just out there and taking pictures, just getting it because you get into a kind of rhythm. And it's that's a, it's really important. Just actually composing and taking seeing pictures and and and, you know, thinking about them. Uh, we all need to practice. You know, I mean, it's a big it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Practicing is a big deal. And I know when I ask or when I think about practicing myself, you know, someone say, you know, someone will say, oh, man, I could barely find time to get out and shoot with meetups or just shoot on my own. And or you might think to yourself, you know, I've been a photographer for so many years. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to practice. I, I got this back off. Or maybe you're just saying, I don't even know where to begin. And Or someone says, you know, photography should just be fun. Let's not make this too serious and, and start talking about practice. I just want to have fun. And I'm going to say to you that you sound just like Alan Iverson. Practice? How silly is that? 
But it's not silly at all because the data isn't on the topic and the people who get better at a skill, any skill, do it through practice and through deliberate practice. And if we think as photographers we get better without practice, we're fooling ourselves because like anything else, that will be the pathway to getting better either either as a beginner or as an enthusiast or as a professional. Now, the scientific research shows that the quality of practice is just as important as the quantity. The quality of your practice is just as important as the quantity. So I'm not saying you have to go out and shoot more, but you have to shoot more with purpose and, and deliberately. And, and so the scientists believe that the expert level performance is primarily the result of expert level practice and not due to innate talent. So sometimes we think when we look at them, we'll see someone and we'll go, boy, this person just has um, a natural ability. And the science is telling us otherwise. A few years ago, I read a book, uh, Talent is Overrated by Jeff Colvin. And the premise of the book asks, what really separates world-class talent from everyone else? And the answer was that it's not innate. He said, when you look at people like Mozart, Tiger Woods, Itzhak Perlman, they all have something in common. And it's that they weren't good because of skill, but they were good because of a concept known as deliberate practice. And, And if they seem like they were good early on like child prodigies, what he's suggesting covert in his book is that it's because they started earlier. And so they reached that, you know, they said you need 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert. They said, you know, these kids, when they started, when they're three and four through, and they did deliberate practice, they've reached their 10,000 hours by the time they were seven or eight years old. And so it's not like they were that they were so much child prodigies, but but this was a result of the deliberate practice they used. Now, what does that mean? Uh, a blog called Expert Enough explained it this way. A guy named Corbett Barr, who writes that blog, he says, deliberate practice is a highly structured activity engaged in with the specific goal of improving in performance. He said, it's different from work and play or just simple repetition of a task because it requires effort, it has no reward, and it's not inherently enjoyable. (laughs) So when you engage in deliberate practice, improving your performance over time is your goal and your motivation. It's not that it can't be fun, but it isn't enjoyable on its own. And if you want to gain skills rapidly or approach expert level status, it's something you 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 want to, to get better at. You have to understand the importance of deliberate practice and learn how to incorporate it into your daily life. All right. So so how does this work for you? So. In in going back to, to Jeff Colvin in Talent is Overrated, he talks about first identifying specific skills you need to master. And then you need to look for the skills that are just outside your reach. He calls this your learning zone. So the learning zone is 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 you think about it like this. He says if you if you target skills you've already mastered, that's called the comfort zone. You don't improve from that because you already know that. And I think this is what a lot of us do. We pray go out and we shoot stuff where we're comfortable shooting. And we go out and we take pictures in situations where we're comfortable. 
we like this kind of light. We know we can master it. We know we can produce. And this is what we do. This is called a comfort zone. It's fun, but it doesn't give you any improvement. Now, sometimes you might want to reach for goals that are too hard. This is called your panic zone. You don't want to do that either. Because if you're just beginning and you don't understand, for instance, what uh, your exposure triangle is, going out and trying to shoot, uh, go out and shoot with, you know, four speed lights, it's going to be in the panic zone because you're just going to be lost because the principles are going to be just a bit beyond where you are. And so the key then is to know where you are and find something just a little outside of the comfort zone. And Colvin says this is called the learning zone. I like this, it's sort of like the Goldilocks prescription, but he said, when you find that sweet spot, sweet spot, that's when the work begins. So how do you practice? He goes, you push behind your, beyond your limitations. And then you, so let's say, for instance, you have exposure, uh, expo- getting correct exposure is giving you trouble. So what you want to do is go find the challenging lighting conditions and photograph those conditions regularly. That means you're going to go out, you're going to take photos, you're going to pay attention to the lighting conditions, you're going to come back, you're going to see what you did when you put it up on the screen, you're going to make notes about what what uh, actions created what results, you're going to go back out, you're going to do it again, you're going to keep doing that. Um, when you're right outside the comfort zone, and and you're going to keep working on it until you master, until you get it. And then once you've achieved mastery, then you can move on to the next task. So so that skill that you're trying to achieve, you're going to keep working that. And you're going to keep working that until you get better at it. And it's not so much the repetition, but the, but the challenge. That's that's the point of the process. So again, it's not just going out and, and finding something in anything and just repeating it newly nilly. It's finding something that makes you uncomfortable and working on it until you get it. Now, the second part of the process is to get feedback from an expert. So this is an important part of the mix because because. An expert will see things that you don't. And this is true of just about any any field. I remember early in my career when I, w- I was working with um, this, uh, I was working with the Department of Defense, and I, I was, you know, doing, of course, their public relations for that organization that got all the fuel for them. And I never thought, oh, how could fuel be interesting? But it, it, it was always fascinating when I got, when I started working for these organizations that did stuff that I just didn't understand. And I would go out with one of their experts. So this time I went out with a, you know, we went to um, Fort Lee, Virginia. And this is where they trained all the Army logisticians. And, you know, I went out with this colonel and he looked at a bunch of uh, Army uh, soldiers and they were setting up these these fuel bags. And he took one glance at it and saw six things that were wrong and six things that would be a problem if they were ever to use this like this in, in battle. He started rattling off, oh, this is wrong. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And he did this at just a glance. And I thought to himself, wow, this is this is what expert, 
this is what an expert will, can do, right? If you if you are watching, for instance, a sporting event, they usually have the announcer or the professional broadcaster paired with an analyst, someone who's played the game at a professional level, because that person, at a glance, can see things that so the, those of us who might be casual observers might not see. And so this is what expert you know, feedback from an expert will do. If if you are just starting out and you are trying something that is just a little outside of your reach, an expert can just look at your images at a glance and see where you might need to improve and where you might be struggling. If you're out shooting with an expert, they might be able to just take a glance at you. Sometimes when I'm walking around and I see people shooting at a glance, I know the picture is just not going to be right and I know why. And I don't bother them, but you should, I can just tell at a glance because I've shot more than they have, for instance. And someone who shot perhaps more than I have might see something that I might be doing wrong. You know, it's, it's, it's all about levels of expertise. And so when you get feedback from an expert, um, there are so many places you can learn. And because you're outside of your comfort zone, they can help, you know, sort of direct you. So this is when, you know, Colbert says, um, Colbert says that um, uh, Tiger Woods and Mozart in particular, those two, it's not that they started at a young age and it's not that they were practicing. It's that their fathers were also had had some some expertise and insight in in their respective fields. So so it's not that this is a three year old putting just willy nilly. This is a three year old putting with somebody who understands what he's doing wrong and can help correct him, Tiger Woods's father, and give him feedback that will help him continue to improve. The same thing with Mozart, with the piano. They've got experts looking over their shoulder and saying, nudge here, do this, do that, and this is how you improve. You know, it's it's, it's not a coincidence that a lot of second-generation athletes are professionals now, Um, you know, the, the, the sons and daughters of professional athletes are also becoming professionals because they have the expert guidance at a very young age. And so the second thing you want to do is get it feedback from an expert. I hope I, I sort of helped under, helped under, explain why this is going to be important because you will make I, you will make improvements at a much faster pace than if you try to do it on your own. And, and that's because they will see where you need to adjust and, and help you target your efforts in a place where you will have uh, better better results, okay? So the second thing is get feedback from an expert, and then you can continue working the learning zone until you are getting your own, um, you're seeing your own improvement in, in, in whatever task that is, and then moving on to the next task. And then, of course, you want to do your own personal critiques because, you know, every picture you take or, or even every picture you admire represents a learning opportunity. So now you're working on this specific task and not just shooting, but now you start looking at those kinds of photographs, right? So you seek out those kinds of images that you want to do better and you look at the people who do it well and who do it at at a high level or at least at the level where you want to be. And so, you know, you give your own personal critique. What do you like about it? You know, what captures your attention? Uh, you look at the image. What do your eyes go first? What is the, what, why did the photographer light it that way? 
you know, what composition, this is just, these are just general questions you ask yourself. What composition tools are the, he or she used? Where was the camera? Why was the camera there? Was it low, high, back and before? You know, what's going on here? Uh, what time of day was that? What kind of mood or story did they capture? And how might I, and then the other thing I, I, I like to do is when I look at something and I start deconstructing it, I go, if I were to, if I wanted to do that, how would I do that? And so you think about, how does how did the photographer create that, and how would I do that if I were to do it myself? And that's sort of a critical look and critical thinking about a photograph sort of helps you understand. And, and so as you start to shoot, you'll be surprised how that information becomes available to you, right? If you start, you look at a lot of images that of the kind of photo photography you want to do, and you think, okay, where was the photographer? What, you know, what did they do? What, you know, how did they create this? How would I do that if I were creating it? And then the next time you're out shooting, that, that information is now, because you've sort of worked through that critically, it's available to you. And you, you'll find yourself going back and referencing that and going, yeah, that's another option I have. So you want to take the opportunity, opportunity to not only critique yourself, but cr- critique the images that are where you want to be, where you want to be, and and see what you might learn from that, okay? Because, because you know, there's a learning opportunity in just about everything in every, photo, every photograph you see. And, of course, remember they said it doesn't have to be inherently fun. And this is where, I, you know, I might, uh, you know, take a little issue with them because I think if you learn to fly the space shuttle, that's one thing. But if you're taking pictures, uh, you know, I think we're sort of we're all because we're all enthusiasts and because we we all love the stuff and we, as I still have to say, eat, sleep, and breathe the stuff. Uh, deliberate practice ought to be, while it's not you know enjoyable, deber- deliberately and it's not inherently enjoyable. Meaning you know you're not out for photographing puppies and flowers all the time. As you're learning, for me, I get a thrill out of that. If I, if I am working on something and I'm getting to master it, and by the time I master it, I look back and see what I've done, for me, that's inherently enjoyable. I, I, I'm guessing it might be for you, too. I'm hoping it is anyway. So there is, while it should not be inherently enjoyable, I think there's the opportunity for it to be because we are doing something we love. All right, so... Remember this, your deliberate practice must be intentional and it's aimed at improving performance. It's aimed at improving performance. And the point is not just to take pretty pictures, but to improve your performance. It's designed for your current skill level, meaning you have to know where you are to know where your learning zone will be. So you have to really sort of understand and give yourself a frank assessment about, you know, what what it is you do well what it, and where is where it is you'd like to improve so that you can find that learning zone. And then you've got to combine it with immediate feedback. And then that must be repetitious. So you'll you'll work on the things outside your your comfort zone. You'll get feedback from someone, you know, and trust. And then you'll go back to work on the same thing. And I think the motivation becomes, the, for many people, the reason they don't become great is because the motivation isn't there to put in the work. 
I mean, th- there's going to be work here, right? And you're, you're going to have to prioritize this. You're going to have to say this is important enough for me to do it once a week or once a day or whatever it is, um, you know, whatever interval you, you know, you think you can commit to. And even when you don't feel like it or even when, you know, things are busy and or even when it's just not convenient, your motivation to get better is going to be what either gets you over the hump or constrains you from being successful. You know what I mean? Because practice isn't always fun and it isn't always convenient, but you have to think of it as an investment in improving yourself and your skills and your future. And if you want to practice with intention for long enough, you can become an expert at just about any skill, especially, especially photography. So you got to you have to find the motivation to make the investment, and so you want to think about that. Where will you find the motivation? When will you practice? And of course, you know how will you know what will you do when you're successful? And I always like to think about that. When I'm successful, how will I celebrate? my success. And I want you to think about that as well. So that's it. This is how we practice because you don't get perfect without practice. I think we all know this. And so I'm going to challenge you now to practice. Leave a, leave a note in the comments about how you will practice or how you do practice. Because, you know, going back to the first question, since I can't observe your practice, tell me how you do it. You know, tell me, share with me your practice schedule and techniques and what you're hoping to achieve. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for, uh, for, you know, your, your photography friendship. I really appreciate that. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you enjoyed this, you don't have to. It doesn't have to end here. I'm, I'm coming to you every week. And all you have to do is go to shutabuglife.com forward slash subscribe. And you will find um, a little box where you just drop in your name and email address. And you will make sure that I'll make sure that you never miss an episode because I will send you a reminder when one comes out, not just of this, but of any Ask Lynn segments that I um, respond to as well. So that's good. If you're on iTunes, you just go to itunes.shutterbuglife.com and that will take you to the, the iTunes page where you can subscribe. And then, of course, I'm going to ask you to leave a review there, an honest review. Because certainly we, I, I appreciate those um, very much. Same thing happens in over and Stitcher. You can also follow there if you listen to your podcasts on that platform. In between episodes, you can join the Shutterbug, um, our, our community on Facebook. It's named Shutterbug Excursions, actually, because it's... Uh, Paired with the meetup group, but you're welcome. So if you go to Shuttlebug Excursions uh, meetup group, and that's fb.shuttlebuglife.com, it'll take you straight there. 
And then if you ask to join, I will let you in. The only time I don't let people in is if you don't look like a real person because we we started having some spam issues. And so I'm just going to tell you, if you ask to join, I, I, take a, I take a peek at your profile. And if you have no friends and if you're in 50 groups and if you have no pictures and no friends, then you get no access because you just look like a spam bot to me at that point. Okay. So that's sort of, um, you know, how I look at that. And if, if I denied anyone by mistake, um, and, and, you know, ask again, sorry about that. But if you have no pictures and no friends, you look like you're not a real person to me. And then I hit no. All right. So that's how that works. Uh, If you're in the Washington DC area, you just got to come on down and shoot with us. Remember on October three, we're doing the worldwide photo walk and that's going to be a lot of fun um, through all of the historic neighborhoods of DC. I think we still have a few more spaces. So um, I'll have a link to that in the show notes and you can come on out and join us for that. Or just look at the meetup calendar. I think there are a lot of fun things coming up in the near future. And especially with fall coming, we'll be getting out and shooting fall colors. Now, if you want to learn, I'm doing a night photography class coming up in Washington, D.C. So if you're in the area, come on out and join me and learn how to take spectacular night photographs. And then I'm going to do a special thing in October that I'll talk about next week and it will it will be um working throughout the month to to get you to a place where you can take really great images all without a lot of i i would like to think about is shooting deliberately so that you're not shooting 100 images and hoping that two come out good come out well all right but i'll have more about that uh, coming up soon just pay attention to that all right so that's it for this week thank you so much for your friendship and your time and your attention for another week of the Shutterbug Life podcast. And whatever you do this week, you enjoy your Shutterbug Life. Take care. <laughs>